well, if you've been around here at all for any, any length of time, you probably know, because I'm quite open about it, that I come from a fairly conservative Christian family. Um, and often I have kind of leaned in and talked about what that has meant for us religiously and uh, how like our conservative, conservative theology has played out and continues to impact the way that I, I think about church and the way that I think about God. But conservative and Christian, but conservative uh, was one of these terms that defined a whole lot of our family. Uh, it defined our politics, but it also defined like our household code. Uh, so I grew up in a family where there were very conservative traditional gender roles when it came to the family and what happened in the house. So in a family with a, a, a dad and a mom and three boys, what that meant was there were four people in that house that did not have to do a whole lot in the house. Um, and what it meant was like, I didn't learn how to do laundry or dishes until I went to college. College! can imagine one person having to do all of the things around the house for, for everybody else. Um, however, there were some select times when the rest of us were asked to do something in the house, and that was like a flag that, oh my goodness, something important is happening. <laughs> because we were being not only invited, but like told that this was part of our responsibility. Uh, one of those things, it didn't happen super often, but one of those things that happened semi-regularly that was kind of like a flag to say, oh, there's something important going on, was when we were asked to go and get the leaf out to add to our kitchen table. Any of you grow up with a leaf for your kitchen table? Uh, if you're not familiar with a leaf, so a leaf for a kitchen table is like this addition that you get to add to a table to make it that much bigger. Uh, there's actually, we have that table at the back that we have the, the basket on and the worship handouts. It's a round table, but it has leaves that can fold down so it actually gets smaller. Well, our kitchen table was a big circle, and the five of us, when we ate together, which was not super often, but when we ate together at the table, we sat around, squeezed in around that round kitchen table. But when people were coming, usually important people that we would actually sit at a table with, we had to add the leaf in. And uh, apparently the, the table leaf gets the term from like a leaf is, is big and thin and has like some, uh, like a stem on it, some sort of attachment. That's where a table leaf gets the name apparently. That was not the case with the, the, the leaf that we grew up with. It was big and it was heavy. And we had to go to the, the back of our parents' closet, and we had to dig it out and then bring it out. And our, our table, if you can see it, was on this, like, uh, geared track where it would pull apart. And then we had to bring in the big leaf. We actually had two leaves. That, that's how we knew there was something really important going on when we brought up both of them. And we had to lay it in there, but it didn't go in perfectly, and we had to, like, fiddle around with it a bit so it would sit on those tracks, and then uh, it could lock underneath. Um, the other thing to know about my house growing up is we didn't have a dining room. 
We had like the kitchen, and then there was a dining area just next to the kitchen, but it wasn't a big dining room, which worked out fine when it was just the five of us in that round little table. But when we put the leaves in, it got quite snug in there and a little bit uncomfortable. And as the youngest in a family of five, guess who had to go to the most uncomfortable seat where I had to like squeeze into the back? But it was like part of the deal, right? It was part of the expectation when you have important people, when you are extending your table to other people, when you're inviting other people to be a part of this thing that you're doing, there's going to be a little bit of discomfort that is expected that comes along with that. So last week, we kicked off a series that we're going to be going through throughout this fall, which we were calling Crowded Table. And throughout this series, we are looking at these stories in the Gospel according to Luke, one of the four biographies about the life of Jesus. These are stories that are specifically happening around tables, around meals. And the reason we're focusing on that is because this idea of table fellowship in the ancient world was really important. You only had meals with people that you were okay with, like, aligning yourselves with. You would only have a meal with someone that you really had a lot of agreement on. And so it could be a very contentious type of thing when you uh, were willing to gather for meals with people. Well, when it comes to Luke's biography about the life of Jesus, a large chunk of the stories about Jesus and the teachings that Jesus gives happen around tables. It's like he, he throws that out there to, to create some anxiety within the people who are reading and say, this is something you need to pay attention to, uh, even and especially because it's contentious. We saw that last week when we, uh, we had this story of Jesus going and having a meal with tax collectors, and then we see it again this week when he goes and has a meal with Pharisees, who were some religious leaders at the time. And so today's story comes from Luke chapter 14, 1 through 14. It's a little bit long, but uh, hopefully you can hang with me. It'll be up here on the screen behind me. Now, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a leader of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There, right in front of him, was a man suffering from dropsy. So Jesus asked the experts in religious law and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So Jesus took hold of the man, healed him, and sent him away. Then he said to them, which of you, if you have a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? But they could not reply to this. Then, when Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. He said to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, because a person more distinguished than you may have been invited by your host. So, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your place. Then, ashamed, you will begin to move to the least important place. But when you are invited, go and take the least important place, so that when you host, your host approaches, he will say to you, friend, move up here to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who share the meal with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you host a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors 
so you can be invited by them in return and get repaid. But when you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's a long passage, and it almost feels like there's three completely separate stories that are happening here. But actually, they're like three pieces of a single story of once upon a time, Jesus goes to dinner. Um, And this is a story, a a story that has like three different acts that's also part of a larger cluster of stories that are doing something here. So, uh, Luke's biography starts with the first nine chapters. Jesus is kind of bumming around his hometown. He's doing his teaching and preaching and healing thing, but it's just within the confines of like his hometown and the surrounding areas. And then after that, by chapter 10 of Luke, there's a pivot that happens. There's like a physical pivot where Jesus has been bumming around in his hometown, and then he pivots and he starts heading towards the city of Jerusalem where things are really going to go down. So it is a pivot not only in uh, his his. Uh, physical presence, where he's going to be going now. There's also a pivot in he's now going to be heading towards this sacrificial death. There's also, however, a pivot in his teaching as he moves towards this is what a sacrificial life is supposed to look like. And then by chapter 13, there are stories in chapter 14, but in chapter 13 and chapter 14, this is a section that is known as kingdom reversals. So, uh, as, as someone was trying to expect what a new king, what a new king of Israel was supposed to look like, what life under the reign of God was supposed to look like, they might have these expectations. And these are stories and these are teachings in which Jesus is like, this is what you were expecting would happen, this is what you were expecting a king would be like, and what things would be like under the rule of God, this is actually what it is going to be like. So, this story that we talked through today begins with Jesus on his way to this Pharisee's house for a meal, and he runs across this person. The other thing to know is this is happening on a Sabbath. We're told that this is on the Sabbath day. Uh, The Sabbath was and continues to be the day of rest for the Jewish people. It's modeled after uh, the first chapter of the Bible, the creation story. Uh, God creates for the first six days, and then on the seventh day, God rests, and it's the expectations that God's people are going to do the same. You might spend six days doing all sorts of stuff, but it's on the seventh day that you will rest. And so a traditional Sabbath lasts from Friday evening, Friday at sundown, until Saturday at sundown. And this is supposed to be a day of rest where you do not work. Well, what is work? How do you define work? Not everybody could agree about what a definition of work would be, what gets included as work and what doesn't get included as work. There was some contention around this as well. Some people were really generous uh, with, with what they would consider work, and then there were other people, like the Pharisees, who were a little bit more conservative, a little bit more strict even in their definition of work. Uh, we've talked about the Pharisees the last couple weeks, and one of the things I've said about the Pharisees is these were uh, very uh, considerate, very, uh, in some ways, strict religious people who tried to follow the law, dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, taking it very seriously, which can be a really good thing until the messiness of the world gets in the way. 
And so when it comes to like what work is considered, uh, just a couple examples that we see in this story is you could only walk a certain distance. Once you walked over that number of steps, that was considered work. So you were only confined to a certain number of places, a certain distance that you could go on a Sabbath. And uh, something like healing, which didn't happen very often, to be honest, that would also be considered work. So here Jesus is. He's on his way to these Pharisees' house, these people who had these very strict rules around what you could and could not do on a Sabbath day. And when he's on his way there, uh, he, he meets a man who has what's called dropsy. I had to look up dropsy this week. Uh, dropsy is a, a, another word for anemia. So it's like a swelling that happens in, in your body, often in your extremities. And usually anemia is, is one of those things that it is, it's a condition, but it's often like a symptom of something deeper and more serious going on in the body. And so Jesus runs across this person, and the expectation for him, especially with where he was going, was that he would just continue on. The expectation is that this is a Sabbath day, he's not going to heal him because he's not going to work. The expectation also would have been, this is a guy who is impure. He is not going to uh, impurify himself by healing him and then go to a dinner where he's expected to be pure and righteous. And yet, Jesus stops. He makes room for this man, and he turns to those who are following and says, are we supposed to work on the Sabbath? You know, if we're being honest, we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And if I do this thing, this is probably going to be considered work, and I'm probably going to be breaking the law. But love is more important than the law. And so I'm going to do this thing because why would I not do this thing? Why would I not invite this person in and show them love, even and especially when they found themselves in this position, even and especially when it was on a day like the Sabbath. Great way to kick it off really well with your host before you even get to dinner. So then he makes it to dinner, and he walks in, and Jesus is, is just kind of taking it in and watching as all of the other guests are fighting over the best positions at the table. And once again, the dinner hasn't even started, and he starts going, no, 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 you're doing this all wrong. You're doing this all wrong. This is not about getting the best positions. This is not a, a meal which is of service to you. Guess what? There's always going to be people who are more important than you. There's always going to be people who are more important than you. And if you go take those positions of importance, you're going to get kicked out of those seats, and I'm going to find it funny, but you're not. But instead, what you ought to do is you ought to put yourself in a position of service. This meal, this gathering, us inviting uh, people in, us gathering around a table together, it's not about you, it's about the collective, it's about your willingness and opportunity to serve, and guess what? As a, as a part of you taking a step back and taking on a position of service, you are going to get blessed in that as a result. Then finally, he turns to the host, who again is one of the uh, leaders of the Pharisees, and he says to the leader of the Pharisees, the next time you have a dinner, you should not do what you just did. 
You should not invite these types of people who are just going to put themselves first. What you ought to do is you ought to prioritize the right type of people, the people like the man that we just saw out on the road that was not invited in, that I took the time to spend time with, to acknowledge, to love, and to heal. The next time you do this, this meal is not about you. It's not about what you can get out of it, but what you can give as a result. There, there's an interesting detail at the very end of his address to the, to the host of the meal. Um, and just really quickly, um, I just want to go back to it. He says, but when you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Another thing to know about the Pharisees that set them apart from other people is the majority of people, even Jewish people at this time, did not believe in an afterlife. Their job was to be faithful people in the here and now, and the benefit was somehow from being faithful people in the here and now. But the Pharisees were among these people, and Jesus was among these people, who believed that this is not it, that there is something after this, and somehow living well, living righteously now, had an impact on eternity. And so Jesus tells this person who believes in that, and says, listen, if you invite these types of people that I prioritize, if you set aside uh, your own blessings so that you can bless them, you are actually in the process of that going to find blessing for yourself too. As, as a church and as individual followers of Jesus, um, we want to grow this thing, right? We want to invite more people into the same type of experience that we have. And yet, it, it's not just simply about growing. It's not especially about us. It's not about just our own benefit. We're not doing this. We don't want to do this for ourselves. It is that we want others to have this same type of transforming experience that we have had. We want others to find a place of belonging, a place of comfort, a place of healing, a place of hope, a place of inclusion. And so when we do things, it is with a service mindset saying, this is not about us, it is what we are able to provide and share with other people. And the surprising thing is that as we do that, guess what? Somehow we're going to be blessed by it as well. We're going to be blessed by those people that we are willing to invite in, that we are willing to extend the table for, rather than us just trying to focus on ourselves. When we pray, the prayer is not just about us. We are praying for other people, and yet somehow in the process of praying, we're convinced that we are being transformed as well. When we gather on Sundays, hopefully you're coming and you're getting something out of it for yourself, um, but we gather for other people as well to, to make space, to create a critical mass for other people to feel welcome and belong. And hopefully in your presence, alongside other people, you are experiencing transformation because of them too. When we give, a, a gift is something literally that is outside of us for someone else. When we are willing to give, it is for other people. And yet we are convinced that that generosity does something to us as well. When we serve, we're serving, we're using our gifts and talents and passions to impact other people, but somehow we are convinced that that's, 
that's making us become more full in our uh, identity too. And when we witness, when we share our story with other people, when we share our faith with other people, when we ex- uh, share our experience of church with other people, it is not about us. It is about inviting them into some sort of shared experience that we have had. And in the process, it helps us. We're convinced that it helps us to better understand the grace that's already at work in us as well. So, with all of that in mind, may we be people who dig in the back of our closets to bring out that leaf and add it to our table to invite as many people in as possible, no matter how squeezed and uncomfortable it might make us at times. May we do so expecting nothing out of it in return, and yet being surprised by the blessing that we receive as well. May that be so.